Hi, my name is Mia Reinhart, and I'm your host for Not to Get Political, but before we begin today's episode, I would like to start with a few disclaimers. Before recording, my guests and I have researched today's topic, and we will do our best to cite sources throughout our conversation. The opinions held by my guest are not necessarily the opinions that I hold. All views are my own. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Sean Galligan. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Sean. Um, he, him pronouns. I'm from Mia's English class. <laughs> awesome. So um, today we're going to talk about propaganda, which is classified as any media that portrays police officers as heroic do-gooders who are capable of no faults. This topic has received a lot of attention in light of recent social unrest regarding police brutality. Some shows that have received backlash include Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Cops, Live PD, Law and & Order, and many others. Personally, I've been a big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine for quite a few years now, so it was originally quite difficult to like reconcile my love for the show with my beliefs on police reform, but I'm super excited to get into the nuances of the topic today. Um, where would you like to begin? Um, I feel like we should save Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a little while because that's yeah. a big one. But um, Yeah, it is. How about we start with defining the term a little bit? Yeah, so of I, course. Because I think it's very new. I like, but I also think that even though propaganda has really only been recently classified, it's been happening for a very long time. So propaganda has been going on a very long time. And in an article written by Kia Vakil, um, he kind of details how police departments were originally the ones who originated that they would partner with police procedural shows or fictional properties like movies and TV in mm -hmm. order to portray the police in, you know, quote unquote, accurate light, but what accurate really means in this case is positive um, and a hero kind of light. Right. It's a little similar to how the military funds a lot of movies these days, mm -hmm. like Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew before reading this article that like real police departments would work with Hollywood. And like, if they didn't approve of something in a script, it would just be cut completely. So there's really no opportunity for a more nuanced version of like what a police officer would look like in media, because if a police officer doesn't want to portray themselves badly, they just won't. Right, because media in general is so built on a history. It's like always responding to things that came decades earlier. And the mm -hmm. things that came decades earlier in this case is a foundation of cop media that is approved, dictated, and, and sometimes scripted by cops so it's right a very one-sided type thing and that creates the modern term of propaganda which is that people think that a lot of these police shows contribute to a pro-police type of propaganda in the media that serves to boost their public profile rather yeah. than look critically at them yeah, and I thought it was interesting that this article posits um, that propaganda causes people to think of cops in like a good guy versus bad guy worldview, when in my experience, most police sympathizers who would be the ones thinking like it's good guy versus bad guy, they'll often try to argue that situations resulting in police brutality were like more complicated than what we saw on video and that being a police officer is a really difficult job with difficult spur of the moment decisions. and like it's interesting that somehow those two lines of thinking can coexist in the same people that's that's a really interesting point i mean it's about how i think it's about not just the heroification of the police but the idea that the police are kind of fighting as warriors this is again from the vacuum article um he argues that police on the cops TV show, or just in these TV shows in general, are portrayed to have a warrior mindset. Yeah, and I found that to be a very good point because you—it's time to talk about the Punisher skull with cops. Yeah. So if if the listeners don't know, a lot of cops love the Blue Lives Matter flag, and what they put on the Blue Lives Matter flag is a Punisher skull. The Punisher is a Marvel character, mm -hmm. and he to them it represents like doing justice in a violent brutal but in the end of, at the end of the day just it's like a badass i'm the badass hero of justice type thing there's one right. in my neighborhood like this is a very popular symbol for cops mm -hmm. and it's like you have to ask why the police identify with a figure like the punisher and it's because they see themselves 
as not just heroic, but heroic in a bloody and violent way. Heroic in a way that's like, maybe you don't approve of me, maybe you don't approve of my methods, but I'm still the hero at the end of the day and I'll do what it takes. That's their that's their narrative, and that narrative is very reflected in media such as the cops tv show yes and i find it like i'm so glad you brought up the thin blue line flag i mean i have so many thoughts on this and hopefully we can get to all of them but i know in our hometown there is a very low crime rate and still there's so many thin blue line flags hung up around town i'm like what are you guys even like protesting like we're nobody is like you know killing cops in our town and they still feel like um, attacked somehow. And I'm like, maybe if you feel attacked when no one is attacking you, it is indicative of the fact that you deep down know you are a part of something that is villainous, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, think of the logic behind the thin blue line flag. The thin blue line flag is about holding the line of police that, you know, these police are unified group of brothers or whatever, and they're fighting the good fight. It really just comes back to the warrior mindset that these police have. These police are not only warriors in that they're fighting for justice against the broad shadow of the criminal, they're fighting against the public in mm -hmm. some cases. The thin blue line symbolizes how no matter what the public thinks, they will continue to carry out their conception of justice. Right. And I think that like thin blue line capitalism totally contributes to this dilemma of um, copaganda and portraying cops in a certain oftentimes positive light i mean i was in a restaurant just like enjoying my meal a week ago and noticed the corner had a thin blue line merchandise stand like where you could buy this stuff number one where does that money even go and number two i don't think that cops need more funding like than what we already <laughs> right. give them well i mean that's the thing where it's like sometimes even scandals for the police departments can lead to an increase in funding with them like like there'll be an incident of police brutality and then the mayor of some big city will be like oh we're increasing the funding for more training for the cops and it's like is that money really going to go for more training to them right and right. i think it's a really interesting point you raise about the kind of commercialization of the thin blue line i think it's like because the people who are fans of this warrior narrative, it's like being a fan of a movie or a TV show. Right. Kind of, because the way the cops see themselves is so from the media. It's based on those media portrayals that come from the original police partnered um, scripts from yeah. like decades ago. So it's almost a way that real life reflects the media in this case, media scripted by the cops. Right. And I think like even recently, as there's been more and more civil unrest in regards to police brutality, police sympathizers have a really hard time um, believing the things that they see on camera um, in regards to police brutality. Like, even if you see a police officer murder someone in cold blood, all you're thinking is like, yeah, but in those shows I watch, they're the good guys. So how could these two things coexist? It's like one of them has to be the non-reality. And oftentimes people choose real life to be the unrealistic version of what cops are when obviously it is that is not the case. That's a really interesting point. And I want to bring up another article from the reading, um, it's by Allegra Hobbs. Mm -hmm. and she wrote an article called The Death of Cop Propaganda. Yep. Um, to quote from it, she states, we were asked to believe that the arrests were necessary to deter violence and mayhem from the protesters and that gasoline and quote, numerous weapons had been recovered on the scene, an assertion that turned out to be a lie. So this article generally focuses on how the videos taken at scenes of police incidents will often directly contradict the narratives pushed by police. Right. And in that sense, the propaganda panders to a narrative that asks people to deny their lived experiences in favor of that pro-police narrative. It's about, it diverges from reality in a big way, especially recently, Yeah. where when people are on the ground filming this and when people are documenting thoroughly the things that actually happened the absurdity of propaganda comes to light the 
ways that it diverges from all fragments of reality comes to light and yet it keeps going and yet it keeps having this huge supporter base right yeah and honestly the very first line of this article offered a super interesting counterpoint to a different article we read um we read chuck lavelle's article and he is a police chief in portland oregon which as you may know is super is considered to be super progressive and like radical in their thinking. And he claims with like the utmost certainty that police officers do not target peaceful protesters who are just enacting their First Amendment right. But then we read this account and it completely proves that statement to be untrue. Not only does this article prove it to be untrue, but as I'm reading the Chuck Lavelle article, I'm thinking, I know I've seen videos of Um, peaceful protesters be stopped by police. How could someone even begin to claim that police don't bother peaceful protesters when we just know it not to be true? Mm -hmm. I mean, social media contributes so much to this because we are now able to see like more truthful accounts of police brutality and they're, they spread like wildfires because they are sensationalized and they are, you know, people are rightly outraged by what they're seeing online. Yes, it's the complete contradiction of the versus the real one. Because as we discussed a little bit, the narrative of how both police see themselves and how they'd like to portray themselves in the public is built on that old fictionalized narrative from the media that work that work with police departments. And that is just so out of step with what people are experiencing in real life, in reality. Um, when somebody says, oh, well, we don't attack the peaceful protesters, they're appealing to a narrative of goodness, of moral righteousness. Right. But the reality is often much more dark or messy or doesn't fit in so easily with what they're trying to push. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear your thoughts on how um, social media has influenced copaganda. Because on the one hand, we we read about cops who are kneeling with protesters and who are giving speeches. And, you know, it's all this great stuff that is spread on social media but would contribute to propaganda and then on the other hand there's an opportunity for more honest accounts of police brutality to be um spread this is definitely something i was thinking about a lot the way that propaganda has become different and maybe like the last 10 15 years because of the rise of social media because traditionally you have it in movies and tv shows mm-hmm. you know Um, novels, radio shows, media that, you know, it's a writer writing a fiction and then the public consumes that fiction. On social media, it's completely different. It's, you know, as much as people like to say the discourse, social media is a discourse. Um, So the methods Copyanda operates in on social media is much different. For example, we we read in... Uh, you're gonna have to edit this out. I need to start this. That's totally over. fine. Uh, okay, find it. For example, we read in Aaron Corbett's article, "What Is Propaganda?" How after the murder of George Floyd, there was this like song that went viral on social media, yeah. sung by a police officer about how like he feels so sorry for George Floyd, but you know the cops are really quite good actually. And then it's only at the end of the song that he revealed that he is in fact a sergeant himself. Right. And that's just kind of one pillar of it it can appear in many different forms it can appear through fiction it can appear through music and it can, it can appear through police twitter accounts and right. police twitter accounts are such a trip because mm-hmm. they will post like we love insert minority group here five minutes later it's we've just arrested insert minority group here yep and the the especially with like Pride Month recently, mm-hmm. it was a lot of police cars being painted rainbow colors and then disrupting Pride marches. Like, yeah. it was, it's a complete, as I said, a diversion of the narrative and reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even beyond like 
police cars, you see tons of different government um, organizations claiming to love a group and then turning around and in the same breath making policy and legislation that intrinsically harms a group. I mean, there was a picture of going around on social media of a crosswalk that had been painted rainbow for Pride Month. And the day after Pride Month, like July 1st morning, it was painted over. And everyone was like, what do you mean? I thought you supported us. And so that was like, that was even kind of a, oh Lord, what's the word? Um, A critique on the way that government organizations run to harm other people they only run to benefit the people that are in the organization right i think that's such a good point um this is a little off topic so maybe you can have me back for a rainbow capitalism episode (laughs) but i um, would love to july 1st is literally the funniest day of the year because the speed at which people take down all the rainbow stuff is so telling. It's like, mm-hmm. we can't make any money off this anymore. Right. Remove it. Everything <laughs> at Target moves to the clearance section. Like, <laughs> Target. I bought a shirt at Target. I, it was in like the teen youth section. So I didn't realize that it, it was in July. I didn't realize it was supposed to be a Pride Month shirt. But it was like, L is for love. And then it had all the Sesame Street characters on it. My youngest sister, she loves Sesame Street. So I've been watching it a lot recently. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sweet. This is so cute. And I bought it and I showed it to my mom. She was like, Mia, you know that's a pride shirt? I was like, what? <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> so they totally like made money off of my naivety. But, you know, what can you do? <laughs> no, that's that's nice, though. Basically, to bring it back a little bit to the different forms of propaganda, mm-hmm. it's it used to be that it was just fictional, but now it exists on social media, in music, and through the general idea of the good cops, or right. that the cops are the good guys, the heroes, the warriors. It's like, as I said, it's like a fiction, and thus it can be merchandised and capitalized upon and commercialized in mm-hmm. that whole we have a corner stand full of thin blue line merch kind of way. Right. I think if you like really take a step back and look at the situation in its entirety, the fact that you have these men in military gear brutalizing innocent civilians and simultaneously they are selling merchandise with their own self-interest at heart, it's very Orwellian in nature. Like, it definitely seems like something you would read in a dystopian novel set in the future, but it's happening right in front of our eyes, and people don't seem to care about the severity of the situation. I completely agree, and I think maybe one reason for that is because propaganda panders to a sense of comfort. Right. Because people, for a long time, I know this is a big generalization, I, by people I mean white maybe middle class or above people Mm -hmm. people for a very long time felt comfortable yeah with the way things were with the way the police were where the structures of the police as the good guys it's really only recently the police have shifted from like kind of harmless good guy doing justice to like warrior fighting for justice right but but you know in that era we were very content to believe in that whole narrative of the harmless good guy doing justice out on the streets because propaganda is comfortable. Propaganda reinforces a sense of order, of a structured society, mm-hmm. of a society that operates following its own rules, and those rules are just. And that might be a decent segue into Brooklyn Nine-Nine if you want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I have to be completely honest, I love SNL. Like, SNL is my jam. I love all the people on SNL. I would love to be on SNL one day. Um, So whenever NBC comes out with a new show that has an old SNL alumnus, I'm like, into that. So I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But then I saw an article in June 2020 that was like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine should be canceled. And I was like, you're not going to cancel my show. And like totally adopted this like, you stupid snowflake attitude. And I was like, hold on, step back a moment. Let me reevaluate why I think that. And started to actually consider like, why might this show be harmful? 
And, you know, even we watched um, an episode for this. And even watching it with, like, a newly critical eye, I was like, every time they make a valid point, they immediately undercut it with a joke and completely, like, make it seem less um, rational than it is because they're like, haha, it's so funny and we're stupid cops. And, like, it it completely undermines, I think, really important aspects of, like, the social justice movement that we see happening right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm definitely different than you because the episode we watched for this podcast is the only episode of the Nine-Nine I have ever seen. Okay. So I don't think we can be any more different in that sense. But I think I think I would definitely agree with your point that the show's own social critique is undercut by the style and tone of the show often. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to mention one of the other articles we read for this. Um, it's an article by... Audrey Martin from Boston University, she wrote, yep. What is propaganda and can I keep watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. Now, this one is not an article that I really agreed with, but it was probably the most interesting one I read. Yeah. Because, and I would highly encourage you for listening to this to go read this. Um, this is an article about someone trying to cope with the fact that she likes Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. And she's not directly writing about it but it is so clear in the subtext that that's what the article is about yeah it gave me a very it was serving very much like white fragility vibes like i I can't yeah it was very much like i can't like the thing that i like anymore but i still want to be a social justice warrior so how do i how do those two things coexist and what what was most interesting to me is that Miss um, Martin, at the end, she kind of reached the conclusion that, like, the big problem with Brooklyn Nine-Nine is that every episode isn't really a racial justice episode. And so, politically, she's arguing that a police show showing racial justice and addressing, show- and addressing social justice issues is the opposite of a police show that doesn't do that. Yeah. And what I might posit is, wouldn't the opposite be no police show at all (laughs) right okay so that's a great point i i really liked her point about um for every episode like mumu which just for um our listeners at home we did watch um season four episode 16 which is entitled mumu it's all about um terry cruz being stopped by another police officer outside of their precinct in a case of racial profiling um so she writes for every episode like Moo, there's also a story arc like that in the bet. And that episode is all about the That was insane. For just for me to say that was insane reading that. I had no idea that that was in the show. Right. Just reading that, I was like, how is this real? Yes. So the two main characters, they make a bet about who can get the most arrests by the end of the year. And the the prize of the bet is one of them going on a date with the other one. So, I mean, take that for what you will. And, of course, that does spark into a very lovely romance that many, many fans have shipped since the show's beginning. But part of the problem with episodes that center themselves around somebody making the most arrests is that they don't, like, really acknowledge the negative aspects of those situations because everybody knows that police departments aim to hit a certain number of arrests, traffic violations, um, etc. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine completely plays it off as a total joke without acknowledging that it is a systematic problem across many police departments that needs to be fixed. And they're just mm-hmm. like, it's something we do and that's okay. Right. The thing, yeah, exactly. The thing about arrest quotas is that they are real and dangerous and harmful. Mm-hmm. And it's a big joke here. And it's like, isn't this funny? But it's like, it's making absurd a thing that really happens. Right. And like really harms people. And it doesn't engage with that at all. Right. And I think that connects with how shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine in general center the police rather than the people being targeted by the police. Right. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is never going to be about the person who's being arrested. It's about the cop who's arresting them. It's mm-hmm. about their day job, their romances, their com- comedic interludes, all that stuff. Um, yeah. But it's never going to be like, oh, we've pivoted and we're suddenly following this person who was just arrested. It's never going to center that experience or anything other than 
the police department and right. what goes on inside it. Right. So to kind of conclude the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode, I want to get your take. So are you still watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine? That's a good question. So they are about to air their final season. Actually, as of the day we're recording it, they're airing their final season tomorrow. Um, I am going to watch the final season, but I've definitely developed a far more critical eye of watching it. And I can't really say that I'm watching it for like the police parts at all. I'm more like watching for the relationships in the show. Um, but there are definitely a lot of shows that I've stopped watching. Uh, Law and Order, I do not watch that one anymore because I think they, it is far too serious of a tone of a show to not um, address inequity in the police system at all. The other one, obviously these two have stopped airing, but Cops and Live PD. Now, my grandmother really likes these shows. She's a Southern lady. So um, you can imagine that these shows really tickle her fancy of like um, watching justice be served, I guess, in the most general of senses. And when I was younger, I used to watch these shows with her every night because that's what she would do. And I was there too. Now I cannot even watch the reruns without like getting upset, like physically, mentally, emotionally. Like it, it is very draining to watch because I'm like, this is just sensationalizing injustice. Um, I am very glad that they stopped airing the show. And Obviously, they there was a lot of backlash for those two shows. I think even going back to watch this one episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I have before. I was like, this is really... Every single thing, every point I noticed that they were like, oh, this is a good point that they're making about like society. It was like immediately undercut by a joke. And that really mm-hmm. bugged me. What did you think of the episode? Like, this being your only episode you've seen, what were your thoughts on it? I think that it was an honest attempt. I don't think the writer's room of Brooklyn Nine-Nine was like, let's be racist today. Right, Um, right. But I also think that the... I don't think the problems with the show come from the episode. I think that the episode is a result of the problems of the show. That is a great way to put it. You know, if you look at it on paper, like, it addresses racial inequality. That's good. Like, it puts a character that, you know, I'm sure fans of the show are attached to, it puts him in that very distressing situation of being profiled, and it's like, you kind of see how unfair it is. You know, that's good. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, next episode, we're just going to go arrest somebody. (laughs) So it's like, it's... It's important that it happened, but kind of engaging with Audrey Martin's argument again, I'd, even if every episode was like this, I don't, well, first of all, that wouldn't be funny. If every episode was like this, this couldn't be a comedy show because kind of where this episode struggled was the tonal leaps of trying to make this funny. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you have a police comedy show and uh-oh, now people want you to address racism. That's not funny. How do you make that funny? So, you know, you have to try pretty hard right and then uh uh-oh now people think you need to address racism every episode yeah how are you supposed to do that and keep it funny right um so i definitely i think i sympathize with the people making this show but also where i disagree with martin is i don't think a brooklyn 99 that comprehensively addressed racism and systemic racial injustice a i don't think it would be a funny show and b i just don't think it would like be worth it because in the end no Brooklyn Nine-Nine would be better than that. Yeah they're definitely appealing to a certain fan base. I mean the people who watch this show are the same people who are watching shows like The Office which obviously has its own little um problems as it's aged kind of poorly but it's the same people who are watching shows like Parks and Rec which I will say is a distinctly better show just because it is a lot more um I hesitate you to use the word woke but that's the only way I could describe it it's a little bit more intersectional the the lead is this like politician woman who is just like this hardcore intersectional feminist and you know 
that's the type, and they still manage to be funny. That's the type of show that I think, you know, is, I hope it doesn't age poorly. But like, then again, if someone comes out and says, hey, here's what's harmful about this show, I would hope that they would be like, oh, we didn't realize, and it was, you know, against our best intentions that this mm-hmm. happened. Whereas Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think a lot of people have been saying that it's harmful. And, I mean, of course, it's a lot more um, amplified in the past year and a half or so. But they've never been like, hey, maybe we should, like, reevaluate where the show is going. What you said that kind of made me think a little is how an episode like this is for a specific group of fans. And that made me question, what is the episode for? Is the episode to address systemic racial injustice or is the episode to make the fans of this show feel better about being fans of this show? Yeah, almost like a piece I think the answer is at least a little bit of both. Right. Because if you're a white, moderate fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and somebody tells you, oh, you watch the cop show? That's weird. Now you can say, oh, but my cop show is woke. Have you watched this episode? It's kind of like a way to placate them, a way to be like, don't worry, you're not wrong for watching and enjoying the cop show. See, we we know things. We're woke. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, you guys are complaining? Well, here, have this, and, like, shut up for a little while. Mm -hmm. Honestly, even the one character who, like, really acknowledges the deep reaches of institutionalized racism, you know, they they call her up, and they're like, what should we explain? How should we explain to Terry's kids? And she's like, just explain to them that, you know, institutionalized racism is, and she, like, goes off on this very, like, well-formulated intelligent um, sentence, And she's immediately written off as, like, being ridiculous, and that's too inappropriate for children. And, like, then she starts singing a song, and it's like, you you were almost there, and you completely missed the point. I kind of want to go back to something you said earlier that made me really interested. You talked about how your grandmother loves to watch justice being served, Mm -hmm. and I just thought that was such an interesting way to put it. The idea that people like to watch justice being served first of all what is justice right right. how is justice served second of all what third of all what form of justice are we watching it's just like that's the kind of thing that interacts so deeply with the foundations of a society like ours and how we conceive of justice right like when we're watching an episode of live pd and you can say that's justice being served it makes you think, like, how did we get to this point? How did yeah. we get to the point that we're watching this is just... <laughs> right. I think there's so many things that contribute to that. Number one, I think this, like, idea of, like, a friendly neighborhood cop has really fallen away because people are beginning to realize that that's not reality and it's not a realistic thing anymore. And so I think that in an effort to like maintain that persona of like just your friendly neighborhood police officer, um, officers have felt the need to quote serve justice in a more real sense and to like get the bad guys off the street and, you know, really make sure that their job is worth something. But when you see the type of people that they're like getting off the street, it's like people who have mental health problems, who are addicted to drugs, who are struggling with um, domestic violence. And my thought is like, how is it justice to throw an addicted person behind bars? Shouldn't we be like providing other resources for them to get help? Wouldn't that be better served justice? But instead we put all of this on our on our cops and like throw them not only into the situation in the first place but now we're televising it to live um national live viewers and it's like you better be you better be serving justice because everyone will see if you don't i think that's such an important point and i think that the police force today can kind of be divided into different sections each of which interacts with a different portion of propaganda you have your cops who think they're the punisher. Mm-hmm. This interacts with the type of social media propaganda where intense conservatives will be like, I support the police no matter what. I support the police's warrior persona where they think they are fighting violently for justice. 
they are the Punisher, and that's cool. This type of propaganda is like, it's brutal, it's violent, it's, well, maybe they shouldn't have just committed the crime in the first place. It's right. like that. Then you have your cops who think they're the characters on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right. And the, the fans of these kinds of cops are like the moderates who are like, well, not all cops are bad yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, and these kinds of cops are the ones who will post songs of themselves singing about how George Floyd's death is sad on social media. Right. Reading that part of the article was so insane. I was like, how, I, can, you, how can you just do that with a straight face? <laughs> reading that, and I had no prior knowledge of that song, that was like similar to driving down the street and seeing a billboard in um, in support of like Elon Musk and like humanizing him and I'm like if this was any if this was like written in a book or a comic book we would all it would agree. be a dystopian thing it would yeah. pull, pull to be dystopian so that group of cops is like the last breath of the friendly neighborhood cop persona right. like guys no we're not warriors we're just nice and we're woke we're not too woke but we're woke yeah yeah like we're we you know incremental progress guys yeah and then you have and this is the most tough to explain but then you have the group that thinks they're the cops on life PD, where the job is fully procedural to them. They think that cops have a role in society and that they're fulfilling that role and that any political discussion, arguments, stuff like that is meaningless because of course there needs to be cops because right. of course the cops need to arrest people. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost not political, or at least they want to think it's not political. Right. It's a way of divorcing themselves from the discourse. Because when you turn on live PD, or when you're a cop who thinks you're on live PD, it's like, you have a role, you're fulfilling the role, you completely buy what society has told you about cops, and you just go through it without questioning it. Right. I think this kind of, like, serves as a great segue into the article we read called Good Cops, Bad Cops by Maureen Dowd. Now... Mm. Going into this article, I I had skimmed it briefly, um, and then I re like read it, and I was. It was very interesting, but it was also like very good at capturing the conflict that many people seem to feel when discussing propaganda, because like mm -hmm. if. We need police reform and abolition and, you know, the United, the United States Justice Department needs um, accountability. What about the good cops? That's often people's, like, line of thinking. What about the good cops? But people like Dowd's father, who, as far as the readers can tell, performed act after heroic act to do right by his country and his community. Like, how can we reconcile accounts like this? with men like Derek Chauvin, who has a family and has a life of his own, but still managed to be a cold-blooded murderer. Is it just, true? Just for, a little, just for a little context for the listeners. Yeah. So this article is by Maureen Dowd. It's about how she's looking at all this discourse about how all cops are bad or bastards or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she feels bad because her dad was a cop and he was a very heroic cop and he did a bunch of good things that she lists out. And she's trying to reconcile her feelings about that. So yeah. What do you think of her argument? I, I, what, what's your take on it? Because I, I definitely struggle with this article. I'm, Me too. It's, there's a lot there. There is. Done so that. on the one hand, like, it's really hard to criticize a parent. I understand that. It's, it's hard to say, to look at the person who raised you and be like, the things you're doing are wrong. And it's especially hard, like, I don't know if you've ever had experience with this, but if you disagree politically with your family, it's really hard to separate politics from family because I know personally politics are really important to me, but it's hard to say, like, I love my family, but they don't hold the same views I have. So on the yeah. one hand, I empathize with her, but on the other hand, I don't think it, it again comes back to just because there's one good cop doesn't discount all the bad cops. It's not that all cops are bad. It's that all cops are bastards because they are a part of a bastardized system that forces them into corrupt actions and enables bad men to do unjust things in the name of patriotism. It's not a individual account. It's a system that is in need of accountability. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I took away from it, too. I mean, there's pretty much no denying that her dad was a good cop. He right. seemed like a nice guy based on her account. Now. Right. But I think the thing she's doing kind of on a meta level is she's talking about a corrupt system. She acknowledges that the system is corrupt. But she's also exempting her dad from the system completely. Yes. Saying, but he was a good cop. And what that means is my dad wasn't involved in this bad system. My dad gets a pass from this bad system because he did good things. She's giving him that exemption. And she's saying that all the good cops are exemptions. But how can a system be made up of exemptions? Yes. How can there be a police force of people exempted from the system of policing? Mm-hmm. Because Dowd's argument of what makes a good cop and then you look at her systemic critique, it's completely the opposite. So it's like, you cannot have a police force of people who go against the system of policing because there's no denying that they are also part of that system. Right. They benefit from that system. They're there whether they want to be or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not possible to just give them a pass because despite all the good they did, they're part of it. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, it's what you said perfectly captures the dilemma. A system can't be made up of exemptions. You know, we often hear this um, phrase, just a few bad apples. But if every bag of apples you buy has, like, three bad apples in it, you'd probably start shopping for a different brand. You know, you wouldn't keep buying things with, with a few bad apples because you'd be like, well, I'm wasting my money. You would want something with no bad apples. And if it becomes a routine, you're going to begin to question why you keep buying these apples. It's it's ridiculous to continue saying a few bad apples, especially which, side note, it's more than a few. But it's, it's more than a few, yeah. It's ridiculous to keep saying this as if it completely excuses the presence of the bad apples in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting is that the bad apple argument almost goes like theoretically the opposite of the good cop argument. Because when you're saying, but my dad was a good cop, you're giving him an exemption from the system of bad cops. When mm-hmm. you're saying there's a few bad apples, you're putting them aside from the system of good cops. Right. So it's like the people who think that there are good cops in a bad system are just kind of content to let the system be there because there are good cops and the people who think there are bad cops in a good system are just completely even unwilling to question the system, unwilling to examine the structures that make up policing. Right. And it's, I think that fails in different ways as an argument. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question for you. After reading all of this, do you think that shows about police can foster discussion, or do even the most well-intentioned cop shows ultimately provide ideological cover for police violence? I think that this is a difficult question because it can easily, I hate the slippery slope, but I'm going to use it. Okay. It can easily slippery slope into, you're not allowed to watch this, or you're not allowed to make art like this, or you're not allowed to write this, and that's not where I want to go. Right. But also, on an individual level, I think live PD is kind of gross. Yes. Not more than kind of gross. I think it's really gross. Right, right. Um, and I think that shows like that very often do fall into the trappings of being built upon the foundation of cop propaganda from decades ago that was made hand-in-hand with police departments. Mm-hmm. And they push a narrative that is not in line with reality and is often harmful in society. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be guilty if you like watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. But I do think you're a little weird if you sit down and watch Live PD and you're like, ooh, get them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so, like, I completely agree with you. It's, It's hard to say, well, don't make this type of media at all because that, you know kind of borders into what people might call um like silencing and you know that that's not great either but it is also 
worth it to maybe take a while and think about why certain media types are being made and what purpose they serve. And I think that goes even beyond propaganda. Like a lot of a lot of the shows and a lot of the different things that we intake, they I mean, you learn in English class, everything has some sort of bias. So like mm-hmm. it's a, everything's political. Right. It's not um it's not a bad thing to consider what you are intaking, why it has been made, and you know, what narrative is it serving? It's good to diversify our lines of thinking and it's good to realize that not everything we do is like pure innocence, you know, just because I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine without bad intentions doesn't mean that it's a God-ordained perfect show that has no faults, you know? I think one important part of the question, I completely agree with that. I think one important part of the question you asked me earlier was even the most well-intentioned shows. So for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think the intention wasn't to make a statement about police because right. when Brooklyn Nine-Nine first started, there probably wasn't a political pressure for a writer's room to make a statement about police, but right. now there is. And I think even shows that go out with the intention of making a statement about police, and they are, of course, the most well-intentioned and justice-minded intentioned, I think even they can fall into this trap sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um for example, Orange is the New Black. I'm on a big Orange is the New Black rewatch right now. I love that show. Yeah. So Orange is the New Black definitely engages with a lot of system, justice system type stuff and like police and guards and all that. But even it can fall into the trap of centering the corrupt officers of the law versus, you know, the inmates and stuff like that. Like even right. it can fall into the trap of you know, when I say, oh, you shouldn't humanize the officers, that sounds horrible, but it's like when they're presented so sympathetically and so humanized, it's like what happens is that it almost overwrites the structural critique that's happening there, and it can cast a shadow of, like, it can almost bad apple. When you make it too personal, it seems a little bad apple-ish rather than a structural critique. Right. Yeah. You know what movie I think does a really good job of not humanizing officers is Shawshank Redemption. There is no doubt in anyone's mind when they watch that movie that the officers, the guards of the prison, and the warden are the bad guys. And yet, I find that so many, like, alt-right conservatives like really love that movie and i'm like how can you watch that yeah okay so this is the thing this is such an important thing because all dude bros love shawshank redemption all everyone's dad loves shawshank redemption exactly and i sit there and they turn around and they're like i love the police yes it's like they're willing to accept that prisons are run rampant with abuse they're willing to accept that like the guards are immoral, that the police, even though the police can be bad guys in the movies they like, but they're not willing to apply that to reality. They're not willing to be like, right. oh, this reflects a structure that actually exists. It's like, yeah, there's some kind of mental gymnastics going on there. Yeah, and you know the other way to think about that too is a lot of times, and I'm going to bring this back to like the Me Too movement, a lot of times people will be like, well, just because someone says something happened doesn't mean that person is automatically guilty. So, If you are so worried about wrongful convictions when it comes to women being sexually assaulted, why don't you believe that there could be wrongful convictions in, like, cases of um, drug abuse or, uh, I don't know, like, anything? If if it could exist in one world, why can't it exist in other worlds? areas too it just doesn't make sense like how could you believe that a woman would lie about her sexual assault experiences but that an officer might not lie about a criminal in order to get to an arrest quota Mm -hmm. i definitely see that that's very true to bring it back to police about a little bit maybe you can have me on for prison episode (laughs) (laughs) but Bring it back to police a little bit. What do you think about the dominant narrative being pushed by police? And what do you think can be done to kind of dismantle that a little bit? That's a really good question. Yeah, so um, dismantling these 
opinions about cops is really hard. It's as as many things are, it's hard to say like, oh, here's a concrete answer. I think that canceling shows like Cops and Live PD is a great first step. But I also think that maybe shows such as Law and Order or Brooklyn Nine-Nine should have some sort of like disclaimer at the end about, you know, this is fictitious and here are some resources to educate yourself. Kind of similar to how if a show mentions an eating disorder, they provide help resources at the end. Um, Of course, those two things are maybe not comparable, but I do think that it, it couldn't hurt anyone to say, hey, here's here's some resources that you should educate yourself with. And I'm interested to see how Brooklyn Nine-Nine handles that as they go into their eighth season. I think actually that is comparable. I think that's an excellent idea because the point of those warnings for like, if they show something triggering like an eating disorder or something and they're like, you can get help here. The point of that is so that the fiction doesn't overtake the reality. The fiction doesn't overwrite the reality and so if you're making a police fiction it's important to tell people like okay this is how police are in real life yep. don't use this to make your opinions of police right because i think an average person's opinion of the police is going to be shaped somewhere down the line by police fiction by live pd by stuff like that and none of those shows have ever encouraged them to look deeper or look anywhere else other than what they're watching right now. Right. I think another um, major thing is I think that as a society and especially as um, shows try to get more woke and they try to be like, oh, we we acknowledge that um, police brutality is a thing. I think we have to um, step away from the narrative that police brutality is solely about race. It isn't. There are a lot of um, different minorities who are affected by police brutality. I mean, you could, you could argue that police brutality is an ableism thing. You know, people with cognitive disorders or um, disabilities of any sort are more likely to get hurt by the police because they cannot speak up for themselves. And that is a very real fear for many people. You could say that it is a LGBTQ plus issue. I mean, just this year alone, the rate of black trans women who were killed is higher than any previous year before. That's crazy. It We have to pretend, or we have to stop pretending that um, BIPOC are the only people being brutalized by the police. And I think it's beneficial to realize that anyone can be harmed by our current justice system the way that it currently runs. It's not just um, the black men that we see being killed on camera. And as much as that breaks everyone's hearts, it is good to realize that the issue has a lot deeper reaches than just that. I think that's a great point. I kind of what you said about the murders of black trans women, it's so it's so horrible to see that. It's like every week. Yeah. I think that can all that can also be brought back to propaganda and the way they're portrayed in the media. Because right. police in the media are fighting the specter of a criminal, the idea of a criminal, the right. idea of a criminal that commits the crimes. Mm-hmm. Um and so what's not really happening in police media is a centering of victims from various marginalized groups like that Mm -hmm. and so when black trans women are victimized it's you're not going to see people be like oh well the cops will handle it oh well the police are going to catch the killer oh well the the police need to go and save this save like more of them um because the criminals the police are fighting in the propaganda push narrative they are not that kind of threat. They are there for the police to catch them. They're not there to victimize marginalized communities, which is in real life. Yeah. Last year, someone's, um, there was a phrase going around social media that was like, who do you call when the people who are supposed to protect you turn against you? Like, who do you call when the police start murdering people in your neighborhood? Because you can't call the police and you know if if a police officer does whistleblow quote unquote um another officer 
they are silenced, they are fired, they are um, illegitimized. Like, you don't ever hear about a police officer who did the right thing by calling out a fellow officer because if they did that, their career is pretty much guaranteed to be over. And nobody wants to risk that. I think that's portrayed in some interesting ways in propaganda media too. Yeah. Because there is often the bad cop where, see, in a piece of media where like a police officer is a protagonist, say like Law and Order or something, the main character that a police officer, she's like a detective member, that kind of, yeah, detective. But it's like, there will be the bad cop, but you know, our main character is fighting against him. And it, it, in that sense, it's like, it's a struggle for justice inside the police system. It's like, right. oh, the police system isn't bad because it's just fighting to be good. And it's like, that's another way to write off accountability for the people who are making it horrible, for the systems, more importantly, that are making it horrible. Mm-hmm. Because by pretending there's some great struggle for justice going on just behind the curtain, it erases the fact that there is nothing going on behind the curtain and right. that these systems continue to remain corrupt and right. horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said that so well. Um, so I have one final question for you. If Hollywood's depiction of police becomes more nuanced and more honest, does that negate the fact that they're still depicting police in the first place? So, in other words, is the fight against sympathetic police depictions or all depictions of police regardless of their stance? I think that right now when we see negative, quote-unquote negative depictions of police, it's to make a statement about usually racial justice. Mm -hmm. When you see a police officer being portrayed in a negative light in the media, it's about like, okay, we are in the Black Lives Matter era. We are in a time of cultural re-understanding about police. So we're going to do a hot topic episode or movie. We're going to do a thing where it's like, okay, this police officer is racist. Uh, Look how this happens. Look how the structures of racism affect its victims. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you cannot just go on after that and have the police never be portrayed. But I also think if you portray them like that every single time, it's just a moot point. It's yeah. been done. So I don't think the, the ideal thing is whenever someone tries to write a police officer into a TV show, be like, no, we can't do that. I don't think that's the best way to move forward. I think the best way to move forward is just to center the people who have been erased from these stories for so long. Because for every police show, Maybe there could be a show about, you know, people who were arrested by the police, the people right. who were victimized by the police, the people who were in the background and not being shown in this narrative for so long. Because we have a dearth of police media. We have so many shows and movies about cops. And it's like, maybe we can come up with something else. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we need to systemically erase... No, wrong word. I don't think we need to systematically erase the police from all media portrayals. And I also don't think we need to rigorously keep pumping out the same level of cop content, only this time all the cops are racist and we hate them. Yeah. Um, But I do think there needs to be a shift, and I think the most effective shift would be to center the people who are most often erased by these stories. That is a great way to put it. Um, so do you have like any final closing thoughts that you would like to impart um, on our listeners? Uh, my closing thought is that thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on. I um, am so glad that you agreed to this. Like I would love to have you on for so many different episodes. We always have like really good conversations. <laughs> yeah, this is very fun. I think my closing thought is I would just encourage the listeners to read good things that we read for this episode because there's a lot of important stuff there and I think an important point we hit on a little while ago is how when you only consume police media um, you aren't being exposed to anything other than the narrative of police media when you only watch live PD your exposure to the narrative of police is from live PD so I think everyone should expand their horizons and do some reading not just on Twitter but (laughs) the articles that we read for this episode um, maybe watching these programs with a more critical eye because I think that is how you combat propaganda by educating yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I am just like, I'm thrilled with the conversation that we had and I'm so glad that we were able to um, 
really like talk about touch on so many different topics within this one broader um topic um and i would love absolutely love to have you on again as a guest thank you very much for having me it was so fun i would love to come back hi guys it's mia thank you so much for listening to that episode if you like what you heard drop us a follow a like and leave a review Thank you so much for listening, and once again, I would like to reiterate that all views are my own, and that the views held by my guests do not necessarily reflect my own views. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for our next episode. Bye!